my obstacles away from me. He's saying, God, you love me, right? Can you make life a little easier? You feel in this passage? But God says to him, no, I won't do that. Because if I do that, you will become conceited. He says, if I do that, you will be more self-reliant and you won't get your strength from me. My grace is sufficient for you. Your flaws will make you strong. Somebody say amen if they got some flaws in the room. Somebody say, well, if you got some insecurities and some weaknesses. I will boast in my weaknesses, and that's what Friday's lesson's all about. But then he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Brothers and sisters, the title of the message this morning is simply Real Life. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us precious and beautiful promises in your word. That you are faithful and that you are loving. God, we thank you for this weekend. We thank you for this retreat. God, we thank you that we've learned about what it means to be unveiled through the example of Jacob. And God, I pray that as I deliver the message this morning, God, that I can proclaim it as clearly as I should. And God, that your spirit opens up not just our minds, not just our hearts, but also our souls. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and in Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, let's go to Genesis 32. We're going to pick up in the story of Jacob. Now let's remember the veil that we talked about on Friday is a symbol of deception. And we're talking about this weekend being unveiled, being seen. And when you can live a life where you're secure and confident in who you are, now you're really living life. So a little review of Jacob, what we read about on Friday Jacob deceived his aging and blind father Isaac and stole his brother's blessing. Y'all remember that? And before Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob, because he couldn't see too well, he said to Jacob, who are you? And Jacob said, I am Esau. That was the veil right there, right guys? From that moment on, Jacob's running for his life. He ends up in Haran at his uncle Laban's house. And uh, Laban pulled the okie doke on him. Y'all remember that one? And Jacob ends up marrying, unfortunately, Leah. There was the veil right there. Jacob ends up working seven more years for Laban. And now he's married to Leah and Rachel, and they have numerous children. And we're going to pull up right here in Genesis 32, verse 22. And what does the heading say in your Bible above verse 22? Jacob wrestles. With God. Verse 22. That night. That night. Jacob got up. And took his two wives. His two female servants. And his eleven sons. And crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream. He sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? 
Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. We're going to stop here. We have a few points we're going to make that will be very clear to you, that I hope inspire you, that I hope encourage you. But then there's going to be a lot of points from this text that we're not going to make that I'm almost certain the Holy Spirit will reveal to you personally. Amen? I want to highlight first verse 24. It says here, actually verses 23 and 24, after Jacob had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him to daybreak. You know, nobody else is with Jacob at this moment. And a man assumed to be God starts wrestling him. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. There are times when you need to wrestle with God. I'm going to say it for the people in the back. There are times in your life where you're going to have to wrestle with God. Raise your hand if you've ever been conflicted spiritually. Can I get a witness to that? <laughs> if you've ever been torn spiritually, maybe that old girlfriend or boyfriend sends you that text. Are you up? <laughs> Now, this was way back in 2008, okay? I only had 
memories from this ICMC, and one is terrible song leading, okay? Funny story, we were out there one day, this was in 2008, it was in New Orleans. Some of y'all ministers might have been there for this. And y'all know what I'm talking about. We, this was like right after Hurricane Katrina. And so for our service event, they had all the participants, they had us all go to what was the ninth ward, which hadn't been touched since the hurricane. I'm talking like really tall grass, bugs, gators, like it was hot, it was muggy. And they said, we want y'all to just clean it up for the whole day. I mean, it was, shoot, I did it. I, I sat around and just hung out, you know? People were like, Matt, where's your group? I'm like, they over there working real hard, you know? So, after this long day of service, they said, now the governor's gonna come in and address you guys and thank you guys, but the governor was running late. So they just asked random brothers to come up and lead songs, and some were good, but some were really bad. And this one brother, I think it was Brian Craig, incredible guy, he, he, he let I hear God singing to me. I think he wrote that song, and it was beautiful. And then the next brother gets up there, and he says, we're going to sing, I hear God singing to me. And we just sang that song, okay? Mind you, we're tired, it's been a long day. And this brother gets up there and goes, and y'all know how beautiful it sounds, right? You know, well, I, I, I'm not going to sing it, but you will all fall <laughs> so, He gets up there and he goes, well, ah! Well, ah! I hear! And it, it was, that was the three, and he had no idea how to end the song. That's one memory. But my other memory of that conference was simply this. Y'all know how on Saturdays you have to choose your breakout classes? And you, and you want to get to the breakout class that you really want to go to. I looked at like the, the 12 classes available. At the very bottom of the list was, is the full-time ministry for me? And I said, heck no. That was it. I kid you not, I tried to go to every other class. But because I was in the hallways fellowshipping, some of them were full, the doors were closed, I couldn't get in, they said we have no more room. And then at the end of the hall was, is the full-time ministry class. And one of my good friends was the usher at the door, had a megaphone, he said, Matt Weber, come to class. And the brother teaching the class was Mike Tolliver, the guy you just saw in the Chance for Africa video. And his first point was, the full-time ministry stinks. And I was like, okay. Let me take my notes out now. But he was, he, was, he was talking about working hard and perseverance and endurance. And then his second point was, the full-time ministry is awesome. And I was like, dang, Mike, now my guard is down. You know? You know? And I think you not, God spoke to my soul. And that was when I started to hear that calling. Again, I had my plan. But now I was starting to see God's plan for me. I was convicted. Again, it wasn't my plan. So I wrestled with God. I wasn't simply just going to change my life because my campus ministers or my friends told me I ought to do something. I needed to be convinced that this was God's plan. For me. So I prayed, I studied my Bible, I fasted, and then finally I was convinced that this is what God was calling me to do. Amen. Brothers and sisters, sometimes you've got to wrestle with God all alone. Not with your minister, not with your brothers and sisters, but all alone. I'm talking prayer. I'm talking fasting. 
I'm talking studying your Bible and journaling. You know, Friday's lesson was all about confession and vulnerability and being open. And amen, I'm 100% for that. But you've got to wrestle with God all alone sometimes. Some of us want our ministers and our friends to tell us what to do rather than take the time to wrestle with God. Because I'm here to tell you that if God isn't the one who convinces you to move in your life, then you will jump out just as quickly as you jumped in. And that could mean living a pure life, sharing your faith, serving the church, being baptized, becoming a leader. If it's not God that convinces you, you will jump out just as quickly as you jumped in. You know, the last year and a half hasn't been easy to be a Christian, has it? You know, we've all dealt with a global pandemic, heightened racial tension, political tension. Gets a little quiet when I talk about the last year and a half, doesn't it? We've all endured it. But what I want to say is this. In, a world, in, in the world we live in that's ever so changing, please, please don't stop wrestling with God. Hold on to God. Too many people have given up and have given in. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Continue to wrestle with God. Why? Jesus says here, John 10, verse 10. The Passion Translation reads, A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. Jacob wrestled and came out with a bad hit. It won't always be easy. It may hurt at times. But even when it's hard, brothers and sisters never quits. Because Jesus promises a life in abundance. Can I get an amen to that? Let's not let the media throw us off. Let's not politics throw us off. Or our peers, or our dreams, or our sin, or even our family and loved ones. Never stop wrestling with God. Amen? Amen. And then we pick up in verse 26. The Bible says, the man said, let me go. For it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Now I want to ask, y'all kept something interesting here. Check this out. God asked Jacob, what's your name? And he said, my name's Jacob. But if we were to rewind and think back to Friday's lesson, when his father Isaac asked him, what's your name? Did he say Jacob? He said, my name is Esau. Now, there's a difference this time around, isn't there? See, before in the presence of his father, he was veiled. But this is the moment in Jacob's life where he takes off that veil and becomes unveiled. It took all those years and all those events in Jacob's life for him to start being honest about who he really was. All the drama. All the running around, all the relationship problems, and and think about all the time he wasted in his life. Now I'm going to ask you all a funny question. Just shout out the answer if you think you know. How old do you think Jacob might have been at this point in his life? 12. 72. Anyone else? 100. 100. How old? Anybody else? Okay, you just flashed hands. 10? 45. I feel like I'm on price is right. People are like, yes! Get this, I'm going to tell y'all right now. At this point in Jacob's life, he was not 97. Jacob was 97 years 
Jacob was 77 when he stole the blessing. He was 84 when he married Leah. But it wasn't until he was 97 years old that he took off that veil. 97 years of living a lie. See, when he was veiled, he stole a blessing from his father. But when he was unveiled, he received a blessing from his God. If you're finding yourself having to force your own agenda, brothers and sisters, there is a veil. But God's blessings are better than any blessing that you can attain for yourself. to live a life that glorifies you. Mm -hmm. 
That's what I long for. Not the attention from guys, not the sorority, but I long to live a life that glorifies you. I want to be concerned about the things that concern you, not that concern me. Use me how you see fit. And that's a scary prayer to pray, because you don't know what God's going to do with your life after that. Um, and God answered that prayer pretty quickly. You know, I was sitting in church on one of the first Sundays back in the fall, and there was an announcement made for a one-year challenge. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the one-year challenge, but ideally is when you take the year after you graduate from college and you use it to go somewhere and serve for a year in the church, just build up the church. Um, and for this particular one-year challenge, it was the Clemson Mission Team in Clemson, South Carolina to replant the church many years later. And the promo video was that Clemson Tiger Paw, just like over and over and over, with this really dramatic music, and I couldn't get that out of my head. And I really was just sitting in my seat and I felt God say, go. Mm. And I'm thinking, so God, when I told you that you could use me however you saw fit, I meant after I graduated. Like, not right now. I, I'm an RA, I'm in my senior year. I'm finally getting my life together. I want to help out with the campus ministry. I'm not ready to drop out of school to go on a mission team. So I had to pray and wrestle with God. But I knew that saying no to God would be denying the Holy Spirit. And my parents were angry. I was so scared. <laughs> but I talked to my professor. At the time, my, my major was child and family development. And I didn't know it, but underneath that umbrella is ministry. And so I told my professor, like, hey, I'm trying to change my life. I'm going to leave and go on a mission team. I'm using the fall semester to prepare for it, and I'm leaving in January. And I'm quitting school the semester before I graduate. And he, well, he was like, whoa, wait, 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 let's figure this out. He said, if you get your church leader to sign off on it, I can, I can create this into a 12-hour course for you. I'll figure out a way to make this mission team an internship, and you can get 12 hours for going to Clemson, and as long as he just signs off on a couple papers, you're good to go. Wow. I literally just had to be still, and God took care. God showed up. He took care of everything. And God did this. My final exam was organizing the kids' class for our inaugural service. <laughs> just like making sure they have some snacks and everything. Like, like, boom, 100. Like, done. And I graduated on time from another state. But what I didn't know then was that God wasn't just building me up inwardly so he can use me outwardly. He was preparing me for a storm that was coming that I had no clue was about to happen. I moved to the mission team that January, January 2009. And then five months later, my father passed away from a stroke. And so I know that God wasn't leading me to repentance just so he could use me on the mission team. But he knew he was, I knew he was drawing me closer to him because if I did not have God as an anchor during that storm, I wouldn't have made it. Yeah. And I know if I lost my father the year before, when I was living that life of sin, then I wouldn't be here standing in front of you guys today. And God knew that. His, his timing is truly perfect. So what I've learned about choosing a life of vulnerability and being known is that as much as God wants you to grow, Satan wants you to stay stuck. Yeah. Satan wants you to feel shame. But God actually wants you to feel guilt. Yeah, I said that. He wants you to feel guilt, but it's not the way we view guilt in the world, but it's that it's that godly sorrow that he wants us to feel. Yep, yep. That I just read in 2 Corinthians 7. 
You know, sin should make us feel sorry, but it should not define us. So for an example, if you, you know, go out, hang out with your friends, you don't study for a test and you fail, shame is, I'm a failure. I'll never succeed. I'm stupid. So guilt is, that was not a smart choice. And I'm never doing that again. But I am a smart person. And that's the difference. So the sorrow leads you to repentance because you're never doing that again. But with sin, Satan wants me to think that I'm a failure. It defines me, that I was going to stay that person that I was in 2008. But God wanted that sorrow to lead me to repentance. And I love it. We see this in the Bible where Jesus does it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, you know, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. He separated them out. He didn't say, y'all are weak. He said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And sometimes our flesh is weak, but God gives us a spirit that's willing. And so living an unveiled life takes risks, but that's where the faith comes in. You know, the Bible says without faith, we cannot please God. So I want to just leave you guys with this quote that I just keep so close to my heart by Ian Morgan Cron um, in the book The Road Back to You. And it says, anyone who says they're trying to be a good Christian right away reveals they have no idea what a Christian is. Wow. Christianity is not something you do as much as it's something that gets done to you. Right. Um, once you know the dark side of your personality, simply give God consent to do to you what you've never been able to do for yourself. Yeah. Namely, bring meaningful and lasting change to your life. That's what God does. Yeah. So stop blocking your blessings with sin, shame, and self-reliance. That's the three S's, Satan's trifecta. <laughs> you know, what I once was, I no longer am, and that's thanks to God's grace. You know, I became unveiled, and even though I'm still considered, you know, flawed, obviously we all are, but God considers us beautiful and useful. And that's real life. Yeah. 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 Well, last night, my, my wife and I, we stayed up with Jessica Versage, just reminiscing about our campus ministry days when we were in your, when we were in your seats. This is such a special time that you guys have. I encourage you, make amazing memories. Have fun, but build God's kingdom. Be authentic and don't waste your time. Share the gospel with as many people as possible because you never know. You never know who's going to become a disciple in your ministry. I'm very grateful for the young ladies who had the boldness to reach out to my wife. I'm very grateful for the individuals who had the boldness to reach out to a man named Larry Reed in 1986 at Ball State University. And Larry Reed is now my mentor and evangelist in Boston. Having a global impact on people, not just in Boston, but on singles around the whole world. But it takes boldness. Make the most of this time. So let's finish up here, okay, guys? Genesis 32 and verse 28. The story goes on. The man said to him, or excuse me, then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him. God said to him, you're no longer going to be known as Jacob, but as Israel. Once he became unveiled, he was redefined and blessed. He's a new man. See, Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was a cheater, a snake, selfish, destructive, came from a divided family. He was on the run. His life was a mess. He was veiled. But now... He's no longer Jacob. Now God gave him the name Israel. 
You know, I love what the Bible says in Jeremiah 31, verse 34. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. How about this one? Isaiah 43, verse 18, the amplified version of the Bible reads, Do not remember the former things. Or ponder the things of the past. Listen carefully. I am about to do a new thing. God not only forgives, but then he urges us to move forward. Now, Jacob is no longer Jacob, but Israel. The past is behind him. Jacob was a deceiver, but Israel is an overcomer. Now, as Israel, his name would now be immortalized as the father of the nation of God's people. He would be known as the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, the Israelites. And even if you were to look in the book of Matthew at the genealogy of Jesus, one of the first names mentioned is this deceiver, Jacob. God used him to bring the line of Jesus. He's talked about as a hero for generations from this moment on. What's the point I'm trying to make to you? Uh, this. Who you are, or who you were, is not as important as who you are. Amen. You could have come into this weekend one way, but you can leave a totally different person. Come on, man. Brothers and sisters, let's not let this weekend just be some sort of church high. But let's let this be a monumental time in your faith, where these convictions you've developed last a lifetime. And not just something you did over one weekend. Who you were is not as important as who you are in the eyes of God. So what's your story going to be? My wife and I, we weren't perfect. We shared our flaws and our weaknesses. But guess what? That was then. And this is now. This is real life. So in conclusion, I want to remind you this. Is that God loves using flawed people. He loves using flawed people. Because it brings him glory. There's a quote many of you have probably heard. I'm going to read it. Do you seriously think God can't use you? Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Our boy Jacob, he was a liar. Leah, we talked about her. She was ugly. I'm just quoting. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Many of us have been there. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus was dead. <laughs> Let me tell you, whatever you have going on with you, God can use you. You're not too messed up for God. You're not too jacked up for God. God can use you and God loves you despite your flaws. I want to share a story about a young lady. This is Azrae Stevens. Yes, she is wearing a Chicago, a Chicago Sky basketball uniform. She plays for the WNBA and just won a WNBA championship. Azrae is her sister in Christ. 
became a disciple when she was in high school in Raleigh, North Carolina. She went on to go play basketball at Duke University. Yes. But while she was there, she wore a veil, living a double life of sin. And then similar to my wife, she needed to get out of that atmosphere and change, and she needed a new start. She also wanted to go to a more successful program, so she transferred to the University of Connecticut, where my wife and I were leading the church at the time. She came damaged. She came flawed. She came jacked up and wearing the veil. One of the first things we did to her was study out that scripture of repentance that my wife read. And she realized she was wearing a veil and needed to change her life and stop living a double life to be authentic and sincere and genuine and spiritual. She took that veil off. And then God started to use her. She was able to be evangelistic on her team, converting one of her team members. Pretty much all of her team members were either coming to church or Bible talk or studying the Bible or something. She was drafted in the first round of the WNBA, and now she's a WNBA champion. This is how God can bless us, not just physically, but spiritually. Now she's confident in her faith, authentic, and a disciple of Jesus. You're never too messed up for God. We started out with this passage of scripture on Friday, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16. We'll close here. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. We can all draw close to him with a veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let's not let our weaknesses hold us back for being strong in the faith. Because once you're unveiled, you're really living life. Let's keep it real with ourselves. And with other people. Let's keep it real with God so that we can experience real life. Brothers and sisters, let's be unveiled and to God be the glory. Amen.